right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. This is Fanatic About the Playoffs from the 76ers Podcast Network, presented by DraftKings and 97.5 The Fanatic. This is, of course, the final installment of our Fanatic About the Playoffs mini-series. We need a couple days to decompress, unwind, absorb, process feelings and emotions before coming back on to dissect 76ers series against the Atlanta Hawks and also look back on some things from the season and what can be applied moving forward. It was a blast doing this series, Fanatic, about the playoffs with our pals at 97.5, the Fanatic, throughout the postseason up until this episode, of course. We uh, did episodes the day after every playoff game. We hope you enjoyed it. My name is Brian Seltzer, and it is outstanding to be joined by a full, I want to say roundtable, but it's more like a Zoom Pentagon, a Zoom five box, (laughs) whatever. Tremendous to bring on. My 76ers podcasting partners, Lauren Rosen, Matt Murphy, Tom McGinnis, and from 97.5 The Fanatic, Devon Givens. Great to be with you guys. I think I'm going to start this off in somewhat of a chronological reflection of our emotions, (laughs) for better or worse, as the season was coming to an end. So I think I want to begin with McGinnis. T-Mac, When you were watching Game 7, what were you thinking? Such a pressure cooker of a situation. You're calling the game. Um, What were you thinking as that game was going along about the Sixers' chances and how it was looking, and then as things ultimately came to an end? Well, um, first of all, you had to feel really good about playing a Game 7 in your own building. You know, Even though the Sixers had already lost two games to Atlanta in the series, in that building. But to me, that was the whole point of getting the number one uh, seed a little bit about path, which didn't turn out to be so advantageous after all anyway. Right. But at the same time, you know, like uh, was to have that seventh game and to have the first two games in your building. So 
you know, thinking back on the game, and my thing has always been a concern with this team is turnovers, and they were starting to pile up early. You had Embiid a couple, three times early in the game, taking the ball down the court. And and one of those times he turned it over. One of the times he turned it into a post-up, he dribbled it all the way in just like he would if he caught it on the wing. But that's not a good thing. I mean, that's, you're like, oh, wow, look at that seven-footer can handle it. But that in the end, that's not really what you want. I think people feel the same way about Adetokounmpo with Milwaukee. Um, And then, you know, the Sixers had done such a great job down the stretch in so many games, even if they lost the lead at a certain point, particularly at home, where they were able to swing the ball of momentum back in their favor. And that they got that lead, whether it was around 84 to 80 or somewhere in that neighborhood with about four minutes to go. Uh, But again, reflecting back in the very beginning, Kevin Herter was hot and he got them going with like nine points in the first quarter. And he got hot again. He made some shots. They did a great job on Trey Young, whereas, what, he was two of 11 from three, but he made those big shots down the stretch. And when you go back and look at the fast break opportunities where the Sixers were eight out of 16, they did a really good job of of finishing on those transition plays throughout the course of the year, and they didn't have that happen. Harris missed a lot of left-handed shots at the basket, so that was problematic. The turnovers continued to ratchet up. And then, you know, everyone says the playoffs are so different. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, we saw it. that manifested itself in that game. When you consider certainly in the Washington series, the Sixers averaged 125 points per game. Two of those games were played right around the 100 mark. And this championship with the last game of the semifinals of the East was that as well. Uh, so the Sixers and Doc Rivers afterwards said that they didn't, they kind of went away from their offense and, and what was up with that. So it was hard to score. Um, the second unit didn't deliver. Curry had been so hot in games five and six that tapered off. Maxi had such an incredible game six. That wasn't the case. Uh, scoring wise, shake didn't bring a lot to the table and Dwight Howard didn't bring a lot of offense to the table in the series. So once they got a couple of those baskets, Trey young made a huge three herder, as I said, had some baskets. They created a cushion that the Sixers just couldn't overcome it. You get a foul on herder. He makes three free throws. And all those things are magnified when you're playing from behind right down the stretch. So, again, that was a little off the top of my bald head. But when you ask me to reflect back, and I think the abruptness of it all, you know, strikes all of us and the suddenness of hoping to continue and play and then having your season end, bang, when it was just the building was, I thought it was electric at times and just the whole party atmosphere of game five. And then just to have the season, not only that end, but to have the season end, was uh, was a shocker, to be honest. You mentioned, T-Mac, the atmosphere in the building. And, guys, I thought you could tell at a couple points in the game that the Sixers made a big play. One of the moments that comes first to mind was the Matisse-Thibel dunk, where the crowd just wanted to explode and blow the roof off the building. But then something happened on the other end, where the Sixers gave up a score, they gave the ball away, and the crowd could never fully get into it. And then, right, the final horn sounds. You're just trying to... to <laughs> play it through all this stuff in your mind and come to grips with what happened. And right after that, and that's us talking, we're just observers. <laughs> you get to the coaches and the players who have to go in and address the media minutes after the game ends. So now I'm going to segue to you, Lauren, and you, Murph. Lauren, you can start us off here, and then Murph, you can jump in after. You guys are in the Zoom rooms with Doc Rivers and the players after games. Lauren, what was your biggest takeaway from what was said from the post-game media sessions? 
I think I'll echo Tom a little bit here. The abruptness of it all was, was very present in those Zooms, particularly thinking of Tobias Harris, who was really emotional after that game. I think he knows that he had more in the tank that he could have given. He had a lot of shots, like Tom said, that traditionally fall that just didn't and rimmed out. And, and you can't control that. He was he was doing what he could. Um, and I think that what was sort of clear among the entire group was that as Tom enumerated, there were some little mistakes and, and each guy perhaps didn't have their best game. And maybe if just one of them had it would have been a different outcome and the season would have continued. To me, in the post-game Zooms, it was just clear how close they had gotten and the shock of the fact that they didn't quite get there and that there could have been tiny little tweaks here and there that would have made all the difference. I think Tobias's demeanor was was hard to look at because he, of how hard he was taking it. He was emotional and and as were Joel and, and Ben taking it really tough Matisse Thibel who's traditionally very even in his media took it really tough um and so to me I, I think the shock that Tom described feeling the players were feeling it too and I think just that little closeness they were they were almost there and they knew it and I think watching them react to seeing it all slip away by a hair and and having each of them feel perhaps that they could have been the difference maker and I believe each of those players could have been a difference maker. Um, watching them sort of realize that in real time was tough. It's a brutal part of this industry that they have to react immediately like that. Um, and, and I felt for them. I felt for them in that moment. Since Lauren covered the post-game Zoom very well, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go to Doc Rivers, his end of season media availability the next day a little bit more time but not too much time to digest the outcome of game seven and I'm going to relate it to something Devon and I talked about on a previous episode a previous podcast I talked about how they in the series had played tight down the stretch of games and in game seven me personally I saw more of that tightness in the fourth quarter Doc Rivers the day after the game said that one of the maybe the best teacher of the year for the Sixers was that they have to keep trusting each other at all parts of the game, at all parts of a playoff series, and you can't vacate that in a time of need, he said, um, when it comes to the offense and the ball movement. And I saw more of that tightness down the stretch of Game 7. Doc said something to the effect of pain is a necessary evil sometimes. And something that Doc discussed throughout the regular season and the playoffs was, in terms of I think he was referring to the development timeline of this core for this team was still relatively young um, and this is something that a group at that stage still trying to learn how to win I think right it might end up hopefully being a necessary evil we know D that people who have felt pain in the past the masses the populace 76ers fans and in your role as a daily talk show host on the fanatic I feel like in just listening to you I know that part of your gig is playing therapist uh, for the uh, for the Delaware Valley so how in the aftermath of all this have you put people in the chair perhaps gotten them to flush out whatever it is they are feeling what has been your therapeutic approach so on Wednesday night we did just that a session if you will to have that sit down and have that conversation and everyone should just be open and honest about how they felt and guys everyone is still really taking it hard because of the pathway that was created, how they played through round one, uh, even losing game one at home, but rebounding and taking games two and three and having a great opportunity in four with the lead at 18 points where you felt very good about it. So after everything that happened and your three, three back at home in game seven, so many people felt good since we broadcast 
from inside the center on the concourse before handing things off to you and Tom to start the broadcast that so many people felt really good. And one of the things that made them feel so good was number one, winning that game six, Tyrese Maxey's performance, but also the fact that you earned the right to have a game seven on your home floor. And it was time for them to uh, no longer be eliminated in the second round from 18 and 19 with Boston and Toronto learning from Toronto with what happened with Kawhi Leonard and then what happened happened on Sunday night. And so many people are just still felt like they, a gut punch and just not really understanding how things played out the way that they did with such a young team in Atlanta, a five seed coming in and taking on the number one seed that has played so well all season. And in this spot, as Matt pointed out that you're not able to execute things down the stretch. And when Tom was talking about it, just the momentum, you all spoke about it. There was one when George Hill had a three-point opportunity, and I thought the place was going to erupt. The Matisse Thibault uh, dunk that you mentioned as well, and a few of the Tobias misses that Lauren laid out. There were so many things that I think so many of us and the callers and the fans so much have, have talked about. It hurts so much because there's so much recall that you can point out so many things within the game that would have changed the complexion of it for the Sixers. And I was just waiting for one run to happen. And unfortunately, it was the younger team that seemed like they were more comfortable than the somewhat, quote unquote, veteran team in the spot on their home floor. So that has been a lot of the reaction uh, from the fan base. And they just continue to talk about it because they have not been able to let it go and especially with the Eastern Conference final starting now and them not being in it. I know and understand why some fans and people might think this was a series the 76ers should have taken to the number one seed. They've got some veteran talent. They've got multiple all-stars, all that. But I also agree with you, Devon. I think that um, I, I do feel, well, I know you didn't just come out and say this, but based on what you were saying, I feel like there does need to be some credit Given to Atlanta, I mean, going into Game 7 on the road is not easy. It was a game that had 20 lead changes and 19 ties. Trey Young couldn't hit the broadside of anything, yet in that pivotal moment, he buries the deep straightaway three. Um, but they still were able to not get swallowed up by the, like, oh, wait a minute, we're actually, we're here? Like, <laughs> there's five minutes until we punch our ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals? And they didn't clam up, um, and I uh, I do give them credit. Uh, I do give them credit for that. Um, I think another thing that struck me, guys, uh, talking about uh, what we heard from some of the leadership from the 76ers, whether it was Doc Rivers or Daryl Morey the day after it, um, I think you could tell with Daryl like how hard it hit him. Um, you could hear some emotion. You could see some emotion. And I'm really curious, T-Mac, how this is now going to set the tone going into Daryl Morey's first full offseason. I thought, and I don't think anyone can dispute this, there were some incredible moves he made in a really short period of time to get the Sixers ready for this season. But now there's a relative, as full an offseason, I guess, as we've had in the last year and a half, two years for Daryl to go to work with. Right. And you just look at his track record and history, particularly in Houston, uh, he didn't sit idle, right? He made moves. And as you said, even before this year, the moves to get Green and Curry were instrumental, just locating and putting a finger on what the Sixers need, spacing and shooting, and he made those moves. So even though the season, you know, it's three months till it tips off again, what the NBA does is they set the schedule. So, and, and as you say, now it's getting as close back to normal, if you will, 
than at any other point in, in the last couple of years. So there's still going to be um, the windows. They may be different timing wise calendar, how they fall in the year, but there's the windows are still there in terms of free agency and the ability to make trades when all that stuff. So again, this is a guy that measures all this stuff and, and figures out what's best for the team. So yeah, he's, he's going to set the tone. And I, I think uh, for the Sixers it, at whole, and you know, now that there's been a period of recovery and I think we've all used the phrase shock, but that has to linger. That taste has to linger for everybody in the organization. And, and it does. And for the fan base and it does, you know, and so for, but for the basketball team, and I think that fueled Harris and Embiid and Simmons this year with the quick knockout, even though Ben didn't play in the bubble last year against Boston. And it has to again, right? I mean, I always go back, and certainly in the NBA, when you go back to how um, the Spurs were so close that year to beating Miami, and then Ray Allen's three occurs, Miami wins the championship, and San Antonio had to wait the entire year. What was that, 15, Brian? And then they and they won the championship. So it's a long time, a calendar year, to get back to the position that you you want to be in to finish the deal. And that's true for Daryl Morey, for the players, for the coaches. Um, and, and then you got to reach milestones and set the stage at every single milepost, if you will, to get there. Uh, and, and it'll be led by the front office and then obviously the coaching staff and the players in the end. But right now the Sixers are at a stage where, yeah, the regular season matters because it's 82 games and you're battling for positioning and home court advantage and trying to get better the whole way. And let's face it, it's entertainment. So you have to entertain the fans and, uh, and enjoy the process, if you will. But in the end, to get back there and right or wrong, if you will, and make amends for – what you feel was an abrupt dismissal from this playoffs will be led, like I said, by the front office and the coaching staff. And in the end, the players. I've kind of admittedly done a content detox surrounding the 76ers uh, <laughs> since last Sunday, but I have not heard T-Mac, anyone else bring up that example of the San Antonio Spurs from, uh, I think it was 2014. I do think that's a great example. Um, Brett Brown was there the year before that. And then his first season was, was the season that, the Spurs ultimately uh, won the title. I do think that's kind of a really good example to bring up. Like you, you wonder how can a team overcome the psychological ramifications of such a painful, disappointing loss, and they really summed it up and got it together and got the job done. I think that's a great point. The only question now is how can the 76ers get better? How can the Sixers do better? Looking ahead to next year, and we begin to cover that next. DraftKings. If you've been listening to Fanatic about the playoffs, you know how much we love and appreciate and are grateful for the support of our podcast network presenting partner, DraftKings, and they have a way that you can win 10 Gs, 10,000 large. They are the official betting partner of your 76ers. They're going to have free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in cash prizes. That sounds outstanding. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code SIXERS when you sign up to get your free shot at up to 10000 bucks in cash prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Outstanding. 
Head to DraftKings Sportsbook Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That promo code, once again, Sixers. Easy to remember, easy to do, an easy way to try and win $10,000 in very nice cash. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. you got to be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, now back to the task at hand. How can the 76ers improve for next season? And we know that in the NBA, professional sports, there are essentially three ways you can do that. It's draft, it's free agency, it's trade. But perhaps a fourth could be player development. And I think that we saw some flashes from complementary pieces throughout the playoffs. Absolutely, Seth Curry in the second round for sure. He was fantastic. Um, Matisse Thibel in certain spots showed well. Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton had a game for Con Korkmaz. Not sure what his situation is beyond this year, uh, at least with the 76ers is concerned. But um, do we think, uh, guys, that perhaps with some more seasoning for some of these younger guys who still have not met their ceiling, that the Sixers can become a better version of themselves. Let's say everything else chalks um, because we don't know what to speculate on at this point in time. But for guys that who could be coming back, the Sixers have under their control with some development. Do we see the roster being able to take a step forward? I'll start with uh, two of the young players that you mentioned in Maxi and Thibel because knowing and seeing at least some opportunities for Thibel to do what he's done on the offensive end, where you can see that the confidence is there sometimes with the shot and uh, he makes it. And of course he he'll make a few more and putting the ball on the floor as well. You can see it in there. It's just more of the development and just feeling way more comfortable on the floor and doing so the defense speaks for itself for him being named second team, all NBA on the defensive side. And then for Tyrese Maxey, we've seen the scoring punch. We, we see that he can do it in a lot of different ways, the speed, the change of pace that he does. He changes things when he gets out there on the floor. And we saw that on display in game six in such an important moment. And uh, so I think that when you look at those two, if they are not, it's just, as you said, Celts in, in a chalk situation where they are coming off the bench, those are two good places to start where you have a, another ball handler coming off the bench that can score the basketball the way that Tyrese Maxey does. And you need that in today's league with how many points that Tom talked about uh, being put up on the scoreboard. And then a defender like Matisse Thibault, who, uh, I mean, the, the, the fact that he was named to an all-defensive squad and, and not being the starter is tremendous. So the other side of what those two players do will only make them better with the defensively with Tyrese Maxey. And you can see there's some stuff there with him as well. And then offensively with Matisse Thibault and playing off of the, the two all-stars and uh, top, Tobias Harris having an all-star level season, those two right there for me is, is where I'm going to go when we get to next season and really try to figure out what their development is like. All we've heard about Tyrese Maxey is he works. And you all know Matisse Thibel as, as well as anyone. And you know that that guy cares too. So I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how those two play out with things in a normal offseason, a real offseason uh, for Tyrese Maxey. And the same for Matisse Thibel coming off of his rookie campaign and see what they do. I think they're in a good spot with those two young players right there. 
I'll pick up where Devon left off there. I think it's interesting because Matisse, of course, 24 years old, second year player heading into his third year, but he's yet to have a traditional NBA season, yet to have a traditional NBA offseason. Same goes for Tyrese Maxey, who's a more traditional rookie after his first season. But I look forward to seeing how this offseason can, can pay off for the two of them specifically, because those are the two that I see growing into, into bigger, steadier roles. Um, and I'm interested to see how this postseason sort of wears on the two of them, because I think both of them were able to see how impactful they can be. They were able to take moments away where, where they both know that they could improve and be difference makers from this postseason. So I think that the two of them specifically, again, and, and I want to let Murph get I know there are some other guys on the roster that he knows a little bit better than I do. So I'll, I'll keep my, my opinions tight, but I, I do think that Matisse and Tyrese maybe even throw shake in there. He hasn't really had a traditional off season following a season in which he's been a big part of the team. So I think that the three of them taking this playoff experience into the off season and now having a traditional off season in which they all have specific goals and areas that they want to get better in could be really cool to see the three of them come into next season as guys that are still young, but have veteran type experience now. And yes, even Tyrese, I would say after the way that this playoff run went, he has veteran type experience after what was a really crazy year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the three of them step up into bigger roles. I think based on what Daryl Morey decides to do with the rest of the roster could obviously open some doors for the three of them. Um, and I think that this playoff run, while it ended in a really difficult way, is going to prove really beneficial for each of them, at least on a psychological level and, and preparing for the offseason and going into next year with some pretty specific goals and an understanding of what the NBA really looks like. Lauren touched on Shake Milton there again at the end. So I'll just add one more name to the mix. I think a lot of people know where I'm going with this one. And I'll start with Doc Rivers mentioning him in that press conference I talked about the day after game seven, he said Tyrese Maxey, one of the hardest workers on the team. And he said, B-ball Paul, Paul Reed. He said Maxey and Reed, two of the, if not the hardest young guy, working young guys that he's had in his career. So to put a bow on development, B-ball Paul, the MVP and rookie of the year in the G League this season, 22 and 12 per game for the Blue Coats seeing the next step in his development. A few years back, Toronto's uh, Chris Boucher won league MVP. The following year, doubled his points per game, and then this past season doubled it again to 13 points per game for the Raptors. I'll wrap it up by saying this. The perhaps biggest positive takeaway, honestly, uh, this is not an exaggeration for me from the second round in particular, um, Matisse Theibel and uh, his willingness to shoot, um, not afraid to shoot, and that he actually shot close to 40% from three in that second round series, to me, that is super, super encouraging because when everything leveled out by the end, he was a huge part of Doc Rivers' rotation. Um, the defense speaks for itself. All defensive team, incredible honor for him. Amazing that he got recognized. But if he's up there in that 39, 40% range shooting threes, um, that is a different level of player that we're talking about. Um, so for me, uh, my lasting impression, particularly for him from the postseason, um, will not be anything other than the fact that he shot a terrific percentage with a decent, respectable volume um, in that second round series against the Atlanta Hawks. We're not going to be all maudlin and sappy here. We'll wrap it up on a good note. We'll go around the horn. We'll talk about favorites, moments, takeaways, experiences. I suppose it could be a, a performance by a player or a win by the team. Um, or just a favorite moment for yourself that you were able to enjoy 
in this 2020-2021 season? I will start by saying from a personal standpoint, being in the G League bubble, I'll get my G League talk out of the way at the top. That was cool. The Blue Coats making a run to the championship. And then when it comes to the Sixers, I'm going to go back to what Tom touched on a little bit earlier and the acquisitions of Seth Curry and Danny Green. And with that happening on draft night, plus the addition of Tyrese Maxey in the draft at pick 21, I think that set the tone for what turned out to be some pretty uh, fruitful moves for the Sixers. And it got everybody excited for the season to come. So I'll go with uh, draft night for me. I'll do the opposite. I'll work backwards. So while game seven didn't have the ending that we wanted it to, the second round didn't have the home games that we wanted it to. It was really nice to see fans come back into the building. I started the season up at the top of the lower bowl and I finished it on the floor. So personally, that was a nice opportunity to come full circle and and be close to the action. And then in terms of the team, I think I have to go back to Tobias Harris game winner over the Lakers. That feels like the most crystallized memory that I have from this season with Joel Embiid's 50 point performance being a very, very close second. But I think because Tobias had a signature moment in that game, the Lakers of course didn't turn out to be the playoff juggernaut that we might've expected them to be during that game. But watching Tobias hit such a big shot during a really formative time of, of what should have been his all-star campaign and watching his teammates embrace him that way. I mean, One thing that that you can't take away from this team is the way that they embraced one another and supported one another and cheered each other on. They were nothing but a pleasure to work with, even from more of a distance than usual. Um, I think the team chemistry that they had this season was really something special, and and perhaps that leads to a core group returning, but it it was really nice to watch them um, embrace one another the way that they did after that shot. So I think that'll be the, the crystallized memory I take from 2021. We might need to do a video scrapbook diary yearbook of all the Lauren Rosen captured pregame content for the vibes. I think that'll leave everyone with a nice hallmark lasting impression. She's famous. My hope is that I'll be able to continue capturing that type of content next season because like we've said, it's not like the vibes are going anywhere. The vibes are here to stay. (laughs) The vibes are good. Always good with Lauren and, the one for me that really stood out was I wanted to see another leap, another uh, jump with the changes with the coaching staff and all from the star player in Joel Embiid. And I did see that. And it's really isolated with that 50 point performance that Lauren pointed out against the Chicago Bulls, the way that he did it. And we've all talked about it and specifically Celts and Lauren, where, you know, my favorite game is the Laker game from back in, I believe, 2017 on the road and I hit the 40 point performance that he had. Still my favorite, but that now close second is that 50-point performance where you just saw it all. You saw everything that you needed to see, uh, the shots from the wing, the beat, the the buzzer, uh, deep shots, uh, step backs. And and oftentimes I I look at him at his size, the 7'2", and uh, close to 270, 280-plus, and you look at him and he does things. And I continue to just say, he's not supposed to be able to do that. And he does it with ease. And it's so much fun to watch him play. I thought he's taken a he's taken a, a really big step in his career and and who he is and what he is in this league and that fifty point performance will really stand out for me in, during the, this this season. Well, I'll go next. Uh, it's more than one as fitting for me, but one would be <laughs> Seth Curry. Just the way um, you know he came in and played, and as an announcer, 
the for basketball, like the three point shot is kind of our home run call because it's the one shot that takes a little bit longer to reach the basket, right? And and he was one of the best in the league, uh, Seth, this year in shooting the three. Um, we really haven't had that a whole bunch of times throughout my time with the Sixers. You have Reddick and and Kyle Korver and other guys, but certainly not right there at the top in terms of the best in the entire NBA. And he was a great addition to the team in many ways in general. But that I thought that was fun. It made it uh, a little bit better in terms of announcing. And then just the rapport with Doc Rivers. You know, I've known him since uh, whatever. I watched him play in high school and college and then throughout the NBA. We're the same age. And even though there wasn't one time where I interviewed him in person, he was still kind enough to do it each and every game. Uh, and I look forward to the day where maybe we get to interview, you know, in person or whatever. Uh, but I thought he was great with the media. And I, I know in the end, winning is the most important thing. But uh, as everybody here can attest, I thought he was just so gracious and uh, giving, really, to the media. And I, th- I thought that was neat, a great rep- – and so Brett Brown was too with our franchise in years past. And I thought that was neat to be able to establish that in terms of what we do on the radio, interviewing him all the time. And then speaking of the radio – you know, a lot of people don't even realize that we did the games remotely. And as it turned out, we did it from a few different places throughout the course of the season uh, in and around the center. Uh, and to be able to like professionally pull that off. And I just called the games, but with Marty Dickerson and Rodney Bird and everybody, and especially back at the station too. And Devon works with these guys all the time, but Tyler Zuli and Carl Namoli and to be able to, to call the games uh, when we weren't even there. And I know it's been done before we did it in the bubble, but that was neat to be able to do it and pull it off. And who knows what the future portends or holds for us there. And then just, again, we touched on this in in all of us in a certain way, but like with the crowd, like, you know, the Sixers are becoming so popular and the sellouts have been there for, you know, years on end, save for when the crowd couldn't come this year. But by way of example, like game five, even when, you know, they were raising the roof with the rally towels and the noise and cheering on the play, but just the frenetic energy, the palpable energy that you feel and looking at those people standing and, you know, like during a break, the breaks during these national TV games are longer where they're just conversing, conversing with one another. And it was back to what it was in other years. And that is a place to be a place to be seen. It was the spot. And I think we're all kind of wishing it could have gone on this summer more, but it will be back and it'll be like that next year. And that was awesome. And that's, it's neat to be part of something uh, in sports and entertainment. That's fun. And, you know, as, as for us, it's our jobs to be there. And we, we are so tied to it emotionally, just like the fans. I thought that was really cool and uh, can't wait for that to return. Cause certainly at the beginning of this year with nobody there, that buzz was much, much different. Amen. Well put. An unprecedented experience to see the fans reemerge and come back into the experience. Um, amazing to see, but hopefully, maybe we all agree on this, an experience we never have to live through again. We can just start next season <laughs> with the building at full throat, 20,000 plus. 
Um, for me, kind of like what you were saying, Devon, my big takeaway, especially given how this season ended, where I'm trying to find my zen and chi these days, is that this is going to be the season of Joel Embiid and how amazing he was, how he put himself truly in the MVP conversation. And there were outstanding performances within that, but I think what it all represents is how he took it upon himself after disappointing collective and personal finish last year in the bubble, where it was not included on all NBA lists, all that stuff. Um, To me, he really seemed to package all that together, come back, find that balance of seriousness, business-like, while also having hip-thrusting fun, all that stuff. It was like the old Joel Embiid. It was great to see. I think my favorite game of his might have been the Utah home game right before the All-Star break, hit the three from the wing to tie it up. He was huge down the stretch in that one. But I think that you could pick a a handful of games, um, obviously, where he was the difference maker. Um, The heart and soul, as Daryl Morey called him, of the 76ers this year. And I hope that the model and example that Joel Embiid set from how he took the pain of the bubble and last year's finish going into this year. That's something that everyone within the 76ers can summon up, bottle up, and take into next year and try to rebound after a tough finish. And I will add one more maudlin sappy note. Thank all of you guys for your participation in our podcasts all season long. It was a lot of fun. It will not end with this season for sure. We're going to be keep going at it, covering everything in the offseason. But as we put a bow on 2020-2021, thank you. Thank you, Seltz. Let's just get that out of the way. I can't believe I didn't say the podcast as my best thing of the year because it's definitely up there. <laughs> the podcast has got to be in my in my starting five of, of favorite things about a job that I love. So thank you, Seltz, because you're the you're the engine that drives this one. I'll take top five. I'll take a top five Lauren Rosen finish. That's that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we're t- if we're putting a game winner and a fifty point performance, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to compete. I thought top five is pretty good. <laughs> it's true. I agree. Dang, Definitely. now I feel bad. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Great work. And and thank you guys, as always, for having me for the season. It's, it's been a blast. And it's different because normally we're able to get sit down together and do these face-to-face. But it's, it's brought a new experience to how we do these. And it has been fun. We've been able to pull them off. And it, it's been a blast. So thank you, guys. Right. The, uh, the podcast network lineup has gained some depth. We've got a, a nice rotation of hosts. It's a pleasure to be a part of it. And thanks to our fearless leader, Brian Seltzer, in this whole initiative. This wasn't just a setup to get warm fuzzies, I promise, the people out there. <laughs> I don't know. I see right through your antics, Seltzer. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll... And I got to do another year. I got to do another year with the great Tom McGinnis, too. So that was it's always a blast. That's right. Tom's always the best. Puts up with my questions during the pre and post game, <laughs> and we get it done. <laughs> we got to figure out what positions we all play in a in a starting five. That's right. That's right. I think. Listen, I think the goal for the start. You know, let, let's not try and 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 fast track anything. Maybe the goal for the start of twenty one twenty two can be we'll just be in the same presence of each other the next time we do one of there these. All right, guys. Thank you, Brian. Yes, I know, lots of warm fuzzies being passed around, but so much love to those four peeps who've been rolling and helping create our podcast content all season long. Lauren Rosen, Matt Murphy, the great, the goat, T-Mac, and Devon Givens from The Fanatic. have loved being able to 
chat Sixers hoops with them all season long. And of course, like we said, you know we will be doing it all offseason. But for at least the next week and change, we're going to take a little bit of a break, step back, recharge some more, and then probably at the latest by the middle of July, we'll be back at it looking ahead to some tent poles in the offseason, how the 76ers can acquire and bring in new talent. That would be through the draft, free agency, and their summer league as well. So be sure to stay tuned. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being part of our community here, listening to us all season long, whether it was through the mailbag, engaging with us in other ways. Um, you really made it uh, our most fun season to date, despite the finish, um, doing pods here on the Sixers Podcast Network. So have a great start to your summer, and we'll be talking soon. See ya. You've been listening to Fanatic About the Playoffs from the 76ers Podcast Network, presented by DraftKings and 97.5 The Fanatic. Follow the 76ers Podcast Network by searching 76ers Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.